Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus called his twelve disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and heal every disease and illness. These are the names of the twelve apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Okay, so we're thinking about Jesus being God's king and uh, what it means to know him and to meet him. And this morning we're thinking about the fact that harvesters are needed from that passage there. Um, we start with asking a question. We're going to come back to this question this morning. But how do you look at a crowd of people? How do you look at a crowd of people? So when you walk into a school assembly, or you look across a, a crowded park, or when you walk into a concert hall, or look across a packed stadium, or when you walk down a high street, or watch a national event on TV, what are you thinking as your eyes take in a mass of humanity? Maybe you're thinking, well, not much really. <laughs> I want to get home to myself. Um, yeah, we can look at a crowd and, and actually um, not, not think much of it. Maybe it's not a question you really asked yourself. But maybe you're someone who loves people watching. Uh, you're noticing appearance and gender and race and fashion and looks and hairstyle. And, and brands and expressions and moods. Do you ever go any further and wonder about the stories behind each face? Maybe if you've ever done that, you feel overwhelmed as you think of that. You feel small. Maybe in a crowd, you actually feel most lonely. and are lost in a mass of humanity. How do you look at a crowd of people? In a crowd of people, in a bustling school, in an event or in a, in a city, you are surrounded by the image of God in a way that you are not when you're surrounded by sheep on a Welsh mountain. In a crowd of people, everywhere you look, you lock eyes with people who are like you, made in God's image, for God's glory, for eternity. And so there's something inspiring about being in a vast crowd. I wonder if you felt that, that should lift our hearts in praise to God. His glory is literally everywhere you look. It's a tiny glimpse of that vast crowd of humanity in heaven now, giving glory to God for Jesus. But here and now on earth, 
in a crowd of people, in a bustling school, at an event, or in a city, you are surrounded by the image of God that is, humanly speaking, irreparably broken and lost. Everywhere you look, you lock eyes with people who are like you, in whom by nature, that glorious image of God is tragically broken. People living for self-glory, not God's glory. And so, apart from faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, are under God's wrath. Is that how you look at a crowd? How did Jesus look at a crowd? Well, look at Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And that is a great summary of Jesus' action-packed ministry so far in Matthew's gospel. Here is God's king in God's world with good news about God's kingdom, God's rule. And he's demonstrating God's rule and God's power over every disease and sickness by healing people. But here and throughout chapter 10, Jesus starts to show the part that his followers are to play in continuing his work. But before any follower of Jesus takes on Jesus' baton of continuing his great work of proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, there is a need to look at crowds of people as Jesus did. And here's our first thing, is to see with Jesus' compassion. To see with Jesus' compassion. Look at verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And so here we have a privileged glimpse into the emotional life of the Lord Jesus Christ. As he looks at the crowds of people, he has compassion on them. He's moved with pity. And this is more than human pity. Here is God the Son. This is divine compassion for troubled people. Jesus' compassion for the crowds comes from seeing beyond appearance, gender, race, fashion, looks, hairstyle, brands, expressions, moods, even beyond the stories behind each face, to seeing people's eternal souls, their spiritual condition. And his compassion, verse 36, is because he saw people as harassed. They were spiritually weary, exhausted and faint. They'd lost heart and given up. They were helpless. Literally, it means to be thrown down or cast down. They dropped. And Jesus uses a farming analogy in verse 36 to powerfully explain why they were so spiritually harassed and helpless. He says they were like sheep without a shepherd. Now, the backstory to that comment is that the religious leaders of Israel were meant to be the shepherds of God's people under God. But by this point in Matthew's gospel, these shepherds, well, they were bad shepherds, caring very little for the sheep. 
they failed to see in Jesus their Messiah and the great shepherd. So look at chapter 9, verse 3. They accuse Jesus of blasphemy for forgiving sins. Chapter 9, verse 11, they complain at the ordinary and rough company Jesus kept. Chapter 9, verse 34, unable to question his power, they claim he's using Satan's power. These leaders, they had failed to give their people spiritual direction and point them to their Messiah, Jesus. And so Jesus has compassion on the people Because they are spiritually lost, they are leaderless, they are harassed, they are helpless. They have no answers to life's big questions. In a world of bad news, they need verse 35. They need the good news of Jesus' kingdom proclaimed to them. They need Jesus. Now, if you're a Christian here this morning, is that how you look at crowds of people? Do you, like Jesus, feel burdens for the spiritual lostness and spiritual leaderlessness of people around you? People desperately need Jesus. On the 21st of July last year, two films were released on the same day, and they capture between them a little of the spiritual lostness of our generation. So Warner Pictures uh, released Barbie, a fancy comedy um, about the famous fashion doll. And then Universal Pictures released Oppenheimer, an epic thriller on the life of Robert Oppenheimer, uh, the father of the atomic bomb. There's slight spoiler alerts here, okay? Um, But not too much, I don't think. Um, So watching them back-to-back is become known as Barbenheimer, uh, two very different films. uh, But as the commentators are pointing out, in different ways, they both explore the big issues of the meaning of life and the sense of crisis and dread and anxiety we feel in the face of, of an absurd world. Or in the words of the Lord Jesus, where people are spiritually harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, and so he has compassion on them. So, as Robert Oppenheimer watches the first detonation of a nuclear weapon on July the 16th, 1945, at a test site in New Mexico, he says, Now I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. And later he recalls, We knew the world would not be the same. A few people laughed, A few people cried. Most people were silent. And at the end of the film, Oppenheimer tells Einstein, when I came to you with those calculations, we thought we might start a chain reaction that might destroy the entire world. What of it? Einstein says. Oppenheimer replies, I believe we did. And so the movie ends with dramatic visuals of the world on fire. I mean, truth is that that chain reaction to destroy the entire world started long before the atomic bomb. But it was started by humanity. In the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve rebelled against God's good rule in exchange for their own rule. And the chain reaction of that sin 
that leads to God's just worldwide judgment has impacted all humanity ever since. As we're born with a nature in rebellion against God's good rule. And that broken relationship with God, the chain reaction to every other relationship, means we end up in a world with a bomb capable of wiping each other out en masse. Such is our spiritual lostness as a race. That we live in a world where war and destruction too often fill our news feeds. And there's something in us that longs for Barbie land, but without the pink. But a land where everything is perfect. Stereotypical Barbie starts every morning with a smile, then chooses the perfect outfit for the day and sits down for the perfect breakfast. She spends her day at the beach with fellow Barbies and the Kens. In the evening, she hosts a dance party in her dream house where in the film she blurts out, do you guys ever think about dying? And it's meant to be a funny moment in the film as this weighty lead balloon question is set in the context of upbeat, happy music. But from that moment on, it's like Barbie's bubble has been burst and her days stop being quite so perfect. And by the end, Barbie confesses to her friend she doesn't feel like a Barbie anymore. Doesn't know where to go from here. And her friend responds with a grim and hopeless platitude. Humans only have one ending. Ideas live forever. Isn't that cheery? But, but look, that is the gutting and that is the hopeless belief that so many live and die with. In a world where we have bought death and destruction, we seek that perfect life, pursue happiness. But there's a sense of crisis. There's a sense of dread and anxiety. There are big questions about dying, about who we are, about where we go from here, and no real hope beyond this life. As you look at a crowd of people, in our generation. Don't be indifferent. Don't look at people in worldly ways. Have gospel, eternity, God, glory, God's glory-focused eyes, compassionate eyes. Culture has changed, for sure, since the first century when Jesus first said this, but 21st century people are just as spiritually lost and leaderless, spiritually harassed and helpless. So as you walk into this week, see with Jesus' compassion. But secondly, think with Jesus' priorities. Think with Jesus' priorities. In verse 37, Jesus uses a second farming analogy. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So this may be a spiritually lost and leaderless world, but it is ready for harvest. 
you see how, here how Jesus' compassion shaped the way that he thought and therefore his priorities. When Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, he's describing crowds of people ripe and ready for inclusion into his kingdom. In contrast to the religious leaders of his day, who saw common people as like useless chaff, ready to be destroyed and burned up. Jesus saw them as a harvest ready to be reaped and to be saved. People need the Savior. We all need Jesus. But there's a big, big problem. In this harvest field, says Jesus, there are not enough workers. They are utterly overwhelmed by the task, for they are too few in number for the task. God's great harvest field is woefully understaffed. And without workers, the ready crop can't be brought in. As Jesus looked out on the crowds of humanity with compassion, he sees they're lost, they're leaderless, they're ready and ripe for harvesting, to be brought into his kingdom. But there's a lack of of workers to proclaim that good news of his kingdom. Now, I want you to hear this very clearly this morning, that every Christian is sent into God's harvest field, the harvest field of our generation. If you're a Christian, that is you. You are sent. And we talk about this an awful lot, um, about how that each of us in our schools, in our workplaces, in our professions, amongst family and friends, we are sent. We go to make Jesus know. We talk about that all the time. And that is a wonderful thing. But there is something different that Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about a serious shortage of people who are set aside from every other occupation to make their occupation the proclaiming of the gospel. That is the context of what Jesus is talking about here. Um, chapter 10, just look ahead there. In verses 1 to 4, he calls his 12 disciples. And he calls them from their daily occupations as fishermen and tax collectors and political activists, etc., to give their time wholly to proclaiming his kingdom. And chapter 10 is, expands on this and says, well, that's going to be like for them. You see, Jesus sees that if spiritually lost and leaderless people are going to be reached with the good news of his kingdom, then full-time workers are needed. People who are set apart specifically from their previous occupations to proclaim the good news of his kingdom. Now, I realize this is very, very different from how the world sees its greatest need. When I'm asked what I do for a job by someone I've just been meeting for the first time, I explain I'm a pastor. Often the conversation flops quite quick. Um, I've got to think creative ways of answering that question. Um, But I'm often asked, well, so is it full time? Um, I mean, pastors work one day a week, right? We know that, don't we? Um, At least. Um, And I'm pretty sure that many people have this mental image of me in robes, processing across to solemn music and wafting incense. I mean, imagine. No, don't imagine. But um, 
But look, let, let's think with Jesus' priorities here. If Jesus is right here, and I take it that as God he is, then the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Now, given that Jesus has centered his mission in the world on the local church, one of our world's greatest and most urgent needs is for more church workers. Not people in robes wafting incense like Old Testament priests, but New Testament Bible teachers, pastors, evangelists, youth workers, senior workers, families workers, the list could go on. People leading healthy New Testament churches of Jesus' disciples to equip them that they might go and effectively make Jesus' name. Too many gospel churches in the UK have no pastor. Whole areas of the UK have very few gospel churches, areas that desperately need church planters to send people to plant new gospel churches. And this is not to mention the harvest field of the world where we've just been um, hearing one in five people don't yet have the Bible in their language that they know best. That's 1.5 billion people. For them, it's like God doesn't speak their language. And Wycliffe Bible translators are working with urgency so everyone can read the Bible and come to know the life-giving truth about Jesus. That the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. That is why on the back of creating space to grow, with moving here to Broadwater School and then with our new church building um, being built, God willing, as we think through what it means to, in our new church center, be a place to grow. It's why at the heart of that, we're praying over expanding our staff team, most likely with an assistant pastor. Because as a church grows, at the heart of this has to be the proclaiming of the good news of God's kingdom. That is how churches flourish and, re- and reach a spiritually lost and leaderless generation. And so as a church, if we're to think with Jesus' priorities, we want to be identifying gifted and faithful gospel workers, training and financially resourcing gospel workers to serve either here or elsewhere. But we're actually getting ahead of ourselves in the passage here. Because whilst those things are vital for us to be thinking with Jesus' priorities, just notice they're not actually where Jesus starts. This is our last point this morning. Pray for Jesus' workers. Pray for Jesus' workers. Verse 38. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest, his harvest field. And then chapter 10, 1 to 4, Jesus called his first disciples to him to continue his work. Let's just just trace what it looks like here to be like Jesus. So in verse 36, seeing with Jesus' compassion, because our generation is harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, that leads to verse 37. Thinking with Jesus' priorities, that the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. 
And that leads firstly, verse 38, to prayer. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So this is a call to action. Action is demanded. And the initial action demanded to this pressing need is not launching a recruiting and training campaign, but to pray. To pray to God, the Lord of the harvest. It is his field. And so we come to him to ask him to send out laborers into his harvest field that people might be gathered into his kingdom. I wonder if you sometimes wonder what to pray. And you're alone with God. And you go, what am I pray today? Well, look, here's a direct command from Jesus to every Christian about what to pray for. We live in a day of countless lost people. And we live in a day of false shepherds, church leaders who are denying the authority and the clear teaching of the Bible. Today, especially on issues of sexuality, identity, gender, singleness, marriage, heaven, hell, and the exclusive claims of Jesus being the only way to God. But today is still a gospel day. So let's obediently pray for faithful gospel workers to be raised up. Let's pray for God to work in hearts and minds, to cast an inner and a heart vision in gifted and godly people, to fill the lostness of our generation, to see the vast need and the amazing opportunities for being sent as workers into gospel ministry full-time. So can I ask you, are you regularly, or will you regularly, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field of the world? Pray for churches that you know that don't have a pastor. Pray for areas of our land, for areas of our world where there's no gospel churches. Because there's no gospel workers going there. And as you pray, and you ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field, be prepared to be the answer to your prayers. Is the Lord calling you to leave your current occupation and give yourself to be a pastor? an evangelist, a women's worker, a youth worker. The list could go on. Why don't we make this a focus of our praying together as a church? You know, our church was planted 59 years ago on Wednesday. But truth is, we have sent out very, very few gospel workers into God's harvest field in those 59 years people into full-time ministry. Parents, as you pray for your children, are you praying whether the Lord might call them to full-time gospel work? It's so easy in our materialistic world to feel that that might not be best for them. It's not so glamorous. The perils of ministry are well known. We're going to see that in chapter, the rest of chapter 10. 
They could earn far more in other callings. But according to Jesus, more gospel workers to lead healthy churches, that is one of the greatest needs of our world. So pray over whether your kids, people close to you, might be called to meet that need. And as we pray, let's pray the Lord will help us as a church to grow in identifying and encouraging gifted, faithful gospel workers among us and to be prepared to invest in the training and the financing of more gospel workers, either for our mission here in Binscombe or to be sent to another corner of God's harvest field. Let's return to our question. How do you look at a crowd of people? Look like Jesus. Look with compassion. See people made in God's image. Feel the lostness and the leaderlessness of our generation. We have bought death and destruction. But people are seeking that perfect life for something more, for happiness. But we live with that sense of crisis, that sense of dread and anxiety about death and about identity and about purpose and about direction. People live with no hope beyond this life. So let's see with his compassion. But then let's think with Jesus' priorities. The local church is the hope of the world. The gospel has been entrusted to the local church. But healthy churches need Jesus and people-loving, faithful leaders. See that opportunity. See the need. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And so pray. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field.